Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Coffee and Geography. Um, yes, I've just, me and this person has just actually sat here. I mean, what has it been now? 12, 13, 14 minutes and just had a really lovely chat before we pressed record. And we were at risk of actually just going off on one I like with that, and then not forgetting about the chat recording. So this is, go- I already know this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful chat. So, Emil, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. I'm very excited to be here, so sorry if I'm a little nervous. Oh, oh well, it, I always say to people, it's like it's completely natural that the guest is nervous, but I don't think, well, for, I can speak for myself, but no one is ner- more nervous than the host. <laughs> I <don't laughs> yeah, wanna, I can imagine. I want you to feel comfortable <laughs> and you know, everything like that. So uh, to introduce you, so uh, Amil is an early career marine biologist who loves uh, nature and all things marine, especially the UK native oyster and seagrass. Ooh. Um, their love for the ocean stems from their parents reading books like don't eat the teacher about friendly sharks first day at school <laughs> animal planet documentaries and trips to colchester zoo to see the sea lions now almost 20 years later Emil dives in regularly volunteering with their scuba club and clean their aquarium uh, they are a queer person of color who loves camping sports spending time cuddled up with a good book and their cat felix your cat's called he, felix he is he is the poster boy for uh <laughs> as the name suggests for the brand he's the cutest little tuxedo cat um <laughs> tuxedo cat and yeah he is he's so cute he's i can ramble on about him forever he's my best boy i love him to bits <laughs> but, but this is I'm not a podcast sure, about cats <laughs> <laughs> well, <it could> be. <laughs> um, but I've, i'm sure you've posted pictures of felix on your twitter feed actually I'm sure you've yeah, done that. Yeah, he, you he must does have done that. like to regularly try to join my meetings. He was on one this morning and then <laughs> it just typed on the chat like the keyboard splatter as he, he walks in front of the camera, which is not very professional, but I can't say no to him. No, no, you're no, no. Cats just do what they want. My, I, we used to have a cat here and yeah, she would she would do that whole laying on top of the laptop, laying on top of the keyboard thing. I was like, you will pay attention to me, Kit. You will. (laughs) I know. Yeah, she was a tortoiseshell cat. Um, But unfortunately, we had to rehome her because uh, the kids made her life a living hell. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, got to put them first, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Right. So um, do you have, um, uh, because we're recording this evening, do you have a nighttime brew with you while we're recording or what? What do you usually drink uh, when it comes to tea, coffee or whatever? I've got my two bottles of water ready and then awesome. I have a, this can sound absolutely disgusting, but I have a little tonic of sort of turmeric, ginger, um, mullen leaf, um, all good stuff for you that is just sort of, because I've had a, I was a bit ill over the winter. Um, so I'm very into like plants and what they can do for you so yeah i'm just trying to use this to clear everything out of my system yeah. and it's working so the power of nature so yeah seems a bit well, gross it's and it's a bit orange but well i came across turmeric in a drink for the first time really when i was living in san francisco and i was like you know they had like shelves of like kombucha and stuff i was like turmeric Turmeric, I, I know it's a seasoning, you know, and you use it to cook with, but here's a drink. And yeah, it's an acquired taste as a drink, but I didn't mind it. But then I learned about how it's so how it's good for you as that kind of drink. And yeah, and with ginger, it's really, really nice. And I'm a big fan of ginger. So yeah, I, I, th- I think I think it's an acquired taste, but I think there are people listening. So no, 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 Emil, no, that's, that's, that's good. I do a bit of turmeric too. It is quite nice, and um, I grew up with my dad swearing by things like lavender and tea tree to cure any ailment you had. Um, lavender <laughs> on like cuts and stuff. So yeah, I think yeah. a little bit so, of that is ingrained in me. <laughs> in fact, um, I, I believe it or not, folks, here's a very very quick little story. But there was a, a one of my best friends from primary school, and now I only get that like twenty twenty five years later that I got the joke. 
uh, he was an Italian guy, and he said, um, he said, uh, yeah, I, I, I eat olives and garlic like as a snack, right? Olives and garlic as a snack. I was like, oh yeah, why would you do that? Is this an Italian thing? I was like, I was like, no, no, it's it's really good, uh, and I never, I've never caught a cold off anybody. And I was like, okay. And then I realized that he was probably telling a joke about how the fact that nobody wants to come near him because of his breath. <laughs> <laughs> I can so imagine, I get it. Yeah. it went right over my head. Um, but olives and garlic are good for your immune system. So, you know, both things can be true. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Uh, those facts. <laughs> I'm still, so, yeah, I don't know what it is about olives, but they still, I, I still haven't come round to them. I think it's the same as Brussels sprouts. Mm. I just want to, don't oh. want to grow up and accept that I'm an adult and I should like these things now. <laughs> I still push him to the side of my roast dinners <laughs> <laughs> well it depends on how you cook them i suppose if if you i think roasting them with some with some salt and pepper you know and with some olive oil is a bit you know it's pretty cool my kids will eat them my kids will eat brussels sprouts cooked like that but not well, like my mum. sorry mum, if you're listening <laughs> not like my mum used to cook them when you used to steam or just boil them like no that is not no. the way to eat brussels sprouts <laughs> i agree with you there <laughs> So uh, welcome to the uh, Geography Cookbook Podcast, everybody. This is, <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host, Kit, with your co-host, Emil. Uh, right. um, but okay, I've got a good segue here. I'm going to use it. So one thing that the place that you're living in is very famous for is uh, condiments such as jam. Um, yes. Did I do that well? Because yes, you, you are in Essex. You, you come from a place that's not too far away from where I come from, from, from Harlow, but uh, you're in Tiptree. Yes. So um, we have the jam factory, the world famous jam factory, literally a five minute walk from my house. And um, I actually was lucky enough to do a turtle dove habitat assessment um, for the company a few weeks ago. So uh, wow. yeah, they're, they're proper into their conservation there and their sustainable farming. So although it always makes me feel about a bit bad about my carbon consumption when I'll be somewhere around the world and see a little pot of tip tree jam, I'm always thinking, oh, I should, I should, I should have bought that with me. Would they have let me get that through customs? But no, yeah. I, I think they, they are really trying. And it was, it was a really positive day. And um, I wasn't on the project uh, then, but last year they, they did have some sightings, which is amazing, um, because all my neighbours around here always go on that they used to see all the turtle doves all the time, and I'm a bit too young to remember that. So, oh, I remember, oh. yeah, I never knew this. This is amazing. Oh, so, okay. So tell us a little bit more about that that work then that that you did with them with regard with the with the bringing back the turtle doves and whatnot. So um, I currently work for the RSPB. Um, my role is quite unique. Uh, it was only created uh, the last year or so. Um, so we're called the Greener Thames Trainees, and I am one of three. There was originally four of us, but um, she, the other lady on it, uh, managed to get a job as assistant warden. Uh, I digress, but um, yeah, it was <laughs> it was originally created for uh, people from underrepresented backgrounds trying to get into conservation. And it has been an amazing year. I have done so many things. So I've helped out on this uh, Turtle Dove project. I have worked with Thames Estuary Partnership doing fish surveys. Um, I'm currently working with the Essex Wildlife Trust on their uh, wild oyster projects. So yeah, I'm I'm probably getting getting around and trying all these different things, but I'm absolutely loving it and dipping my toes into so many different areas of conservation. Oh my God, this is so, so good. Yeah, um, it sounds like such an amazing project as well. Uh, I'm just looking at, I've just looked at the Tip Tree, uh, they've got Tip Tree videos and they actually have a video about the turtle dove uh, thing. So I'm going to put a link to that in the description for people to uh, look at. So that's really, really cool. Uh, yeah, so folks, I'm sure no matter where you are in the UK, you have probably come across you know the the marmalade the jam the lemon curd or something and it's got like you know tip tree essex on it and it's quite famous you usually will find them in bed and breakfast i've i've seen them like all the way up in like the lake districts and stuff like that yeah, in bed and breakfast yeah. up there um so they are quite a, so there you go so mel they're right pretty much right at the jam factory and they've been doing this conservation work. apparently seven they, they've been going since the 18th century apparently yeah That's they're just... they're really well established yeah, and their jam and is yummy, involved. so can't complain. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> yep. Images from the Barnell, yeah. So Barnell project with Essex Wildlife Trust, the Turtle Dove Conservation Project, which we worked with the RSPB, and this was um, with, and then they had uh, 
yeah and they were showing people all about you know for their virtual open farm day during lockdown wow there is so much to go into here uh so and we have a lot of geography educators who are listening so folks there is a lot you can learn geography and conservation wise just by visiting the tip tree jam website so i'll uh, I'll stick that on the uh yeah on the show notes so yeah so um okay so i really love what it's going on this you said you're lucky to remember the, the turtle doves when you were growing up and stuff like that but who's and i like what you put here whose beautiful pearl nostalgically reminds me of walking to school as a kid um and um you've mentioned uh one of your fondest memories is with your nan on your flat balcony in snaresbrook watching the foxes oh yeah it was um it was quite lovely actually because she um she passed away last summer and um oh. obviously that's a, a sad time for the family but at the funeral mm-hmm. uh and there's you know we've got quite a lot of young kids in the family and almost all of us have sort of these similar memories of just sitting on our balcony watching the foxes and then yeah. um just as you know they're, they're reading out a lovely poem these two foxes run by a, like a few meters behind us and start playing and honestly, wow. everyone was in tears. It was it was so beautiful. And it was, yeah, it was like she was still there with us. And I, I think it's really important in this sector to realise that not everyone's has the opportunity to start bird watching, you know, at seven years old mm. or or has this traditional route into conservation. So especially like urban wildlife, I think is is so amazing yeah. how everyone gets these connections in completely different ways and every single way is valid is important uh yeah and or I, I, people listening know i have a real affinity with foxes i mean that's where what my name kit comes from and i've got my little fox here and i've got my fox thingies on Aww. you know and it's but what 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 i want people to understand as well is that exactly what you just said so for folks who don't know where snaresbrook is snaresbrook is uh northeast london so coming out towards the urban fringe of london but not quite still very much in 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 london so we're kind of thinking about uh you know enfield loughton up towards Aden boys uh woodford all that kind of stuff so it is a it is quite a, a busy urban area not as busy as say inner city london but it's a very busy area but there are pockets of green spaces around that area so uh yeah it's uh, it's no surprise to me to me person who knows that area very very well that there are you know you would see foxes but from the flat balcony just to see them playing you know on the estate that's just nature finds its way and foxes get everywhere as well which is what they do they're so lovely yeah so uh which is absolutely beautiful so um so is that your patch then like family wise is it is it like kind of the, the the northeast london coming into essex is that is that your family's patch or have you have you born and bred as kind of like north north london south middle essex oh i i'm essex yeah born and bred (laughs) i got the Gemma collins (laughs) accent um so sorry to everyone listening out there i know it can be quite grating and when i proper go into it and start saying words like peg and cream oh my god i shouldn't have said that (laughs) yeah yeah essex born and bred and it's got context i'm not even trying to explain it um yeah i've I've, my accent's become a bit more refined but you know what no i saw yeah okay i'm I'm refining my accent because of course i'm i'm changing my my voice therapy and all that kind of stuff but i'm gonna i'll just drop my old essex yeah yeah i'll just slip back so this is like what i talk to my parents sometimes you know it's just like i mean that i don't know how this is going to come across on a podcast but it people must like what is kit doing they sound so different (laughs) now but, you know, oh, God, leave it out. Come on. Let's just get oh, come on with on, it. Mate. <laughs> come on, mate. Oh, no, you got two Essex people now going at it. Oh, no. Oh, sorry, folks. Absolute mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see, there you go. Mayhem. Mayhem. This carnage. <laughs> we should be selling strawberries at like six o'clock in the morning, not be recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. How, how do I move on from here? Right. Okay. <laughs> so yeah we'll, we'll go we'll, we'll go on to this next bit because it is really really i think it's it has a bit of essex of, of it all right so uh so you, you say here that you grew up in urban areas but you've always felt a connection with the natural world i felt i felt that too even though growing up in you know in harlow in arlo in essex you know i i i 
I really loved the fact that it was built as a new town and there were pockets of green spaces around and it's a shame that development meant like Harlow's been developing inwards because it's restricted by the London Greenbelt and whatnot. Um, but I loved that. I loved walking back from school and walking through the woods or walking through the fields, get home, even though my school was pretty much 15 minutes away from the town centre. So that was pretty lovely. Um, but then what, well, what you've put here is that whenever you're out walking, you always come home with pockets full of cool rock shells and bones. And this is amazing. I, I, I think you picking up this quote is very Essex of you, right? You always like to think of this quote from Alice Walker, which is, I think it pisses God off if you walk by the colour purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. <laughs> I, I think I must have been a magpie in another life because <laughs> I, I stepped out into my back garden today and picked up a rock and was like, oh, that's really nice. Don't know where that came from. My whole garden is covered in stones. It's probably just came out, out of a bag somewhere. But I, I'm, ter- <laughs> I'm terrible for it. I would have shells in my blazer pocket and I still do now. All of my wo- work coats will have little bits of sea glass in them. And yeah, I have to have a sort out every six months or so because I just have too many rocks to display now. (laughs) So if anyone can help me identify what types of rocks these are, these are brilliant. But (laughs) I do have quite a few. (laughs) (laughs) Marine biologist, not a geologist. (laughs) (laughs) They might intersect sometimes, but... um... Yeah, in fact, a friend of mine, uh, I'm going to give her, give, her, give her a shout out, uh, Kim, who lives in uh, a wonderful family friend who lives in Santa Cruz. She loves collecting sea glass uh, and making like really amazing cool art out of it. So that's a very good excuse to give a shout out to the lovely, wonderful Kim. Miss you, Kim. We love you. Um, but yeah, she, she'll understand that that um, compulsion to go out and, and collect those bits. And my, my who, who you got to meet very briefly, <laughs> my eldest, comes home with bunches of shingle, rocks and everything in their pockets. The mini geographer. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, so your 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 work then with the RSPB. So you say you you absolutely love scuba diving. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a bit. Is they seem like they're kind of like exclusive to each other, right? The RSPB with birds and stuff like that, and then you've got your marine biology and scuba diving, but. Is there is there any way that those two worlds collide? And actually, no. It's really important that you've got work with bird conversation, com- conservation, and marine biology. Yeah, a hundred percent. They they totally overlap. Um, I mean, it did take me a few months to find a marine biologist in the RSPB, and I don't think there's any in Essex, as far as I'm aware of. Mm. They're definitely they tend to stick to Scotland. Um, they've got <laughs> much wilder coasts than we do but um, yeah it, it definitely connects and uh, I think uh, a lot of the work we do with the seabirds is so important because again species like the kitty wakes are declining so rapidly and they're such beautiful mm. birds and I had the opportunity to go and see some last uh, summer when I went up to uh, Bempton Cliffs and they're just they're spectacular and you know you have all these these brilliant species for engagement like the puffins and their beautiful bright orange bills and yeah the, they're worlds that that completely overlap and I do feel so privileged when I'm scuba diving to get a little glimpse of their world and yeah just when I when I'm you know 20 meters under the water and I can imagine that's a that's a solitude they get when they're you know they can dive to go and collect their dinner and there's just no one else around them but miles of open ocean and yeah I think that's the closest I'd ever personally get to flying is when I'm diving so yeah a little glimpse through a seabird's eyes Wow, I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, because I've I've never had the I've never had the honour and the the luck to go scuba diving. I've I've been snorkeling. That's about as close as I've got, you know. Um, but yeah, scuba. I mean, how? I mean, how? How do for for folks who? I mean, there might be folks listening who have like who've gone on holiday somewhere and they've you know they paid for a scuba diving experience stuff like that. I know my 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 dad did that once um so but yeah what i mean tell us again about what got you into it because we've we've heard a little bit of a story about what got you into nature and things like that but why scuba dive why is what was it about the ocean and that your desire to don on all that gear and 
train because you you've got to have so much training I imagine to be like a scuba diver as well yeah yeah it's it's definitely a long road and I am I am only part way down it but I I can't even explain where my love for the ocean comes from. I've I was always a swimmer growing up, but mm. I I've just felt this connection. I feel a a little bit like Moana, you know, in the in the first few oh. scenes where she's like waddling towards the ocean. I feel like that's me sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, when I went to university, it was a conversation I was having with my dad, and he was saying, "Well, you know, you want to do marine biology? Why didn't you start scuba diving a few years ago?" And I I just couldn't find a club for love nor money. And so oh. when I went to university down in Portsmouth, um, joined the club there, and uh, I was actually helping out a PhD student, uh, Luke Helmer, on their oyster project in the Solent. And I was—I hadn't even done my first tri dive yet, and I was saying, "Oh, you know, I'm really nervous. I'm—I'm um, I'm not too sure if you know this is going to be for me. Um, I panic quite a lot on land. I'm really worried I'll get myself into a situation underwater." And him and a lot of other people turned around and said, if you can dive in the UK where it is cold and the visibility <laughs> is three metres, if you're lucky, you can dive anywhere in the world. And awesome. yeah, it's it's been a very long journey and there's with COVID and a lot of other setbacks, but I'm getting there and yeah, I, I love it. I wish I could spend every single day diving. It's my favourite oh. thing in the whole world. <laughs> That's, yeah, and I love what you said a bit earlier about it must, it feels, it feels like flying um and I used to I, I do admit when once I've you know I used to love swimming when I was a kid and I, I used to love swimming underwater uh I I never could hold my breath very long though because I grew up with asthma and and uh and I actually took to playing the saxophone as one way of building my lung capacity right um and, and people have said to me Kit you need to play your saxophone on the pot no I, I, <laughs> I no I'm not going to subject you to that folks um but and and I, I get the peace and serenity of being underwater. Um, and you mentioned about like when you were talking about, you know, the kitty walks and, and like the way that they will and the seabirds dive underwater and they give that sense of serenity and that sense of peace. I mean, um, is there is there any anything in particular that you've seen in any of your scuba dives? I mean, you've already mentioned about about the seabirds diving where where you were just I don't know, you were in complete serenity, like with, I, with with your surroundings and nature you might you, you you're not as if so you have more than one example <laughs> oh I, I have so many examples um okay. the the first one that uh sort of comes to mind was uh I went to the Red Sea uh in Egypt uh, a few years ago um and I'd only just qualified it was sort of my first summer I was only an ocean diver so I could only go to 20 meters but the life in the Red Sea is incredible and um I think it was maybe my second dive there and uh, we're, we're only at 10 meters uh, swimming along this reef and um, uh, my buddy points out this uh, octopus uh, sort of camouflaging into the wall and <laughs> we've obviously stopped had a little look and we're, we're respectful you know you don't go and poke the marine life because also you don't want anything to poke you back and hurt you so <laughs> we're watching yep. from a nice little distance this octopus crawls out and then out of nowhere, this gigantic trigger fish and this thing must have been about four or five foot. It was massive. And you do not m want to mess with them because if you get in their territory, they're having none of it. They will chase you out and they will chase you for the whole dive. Um, but wow. this massive trigger wow. fish just came out of nowhere and like one chomp just like started trying to like bite this octopus. And we were just sat there and I was thinking, I feel like I'm an, in an episode of Blue Planet. Where are all the cameras? Like, this is the most amazing thing. And they just were not bothered by our presence at all. And it just reminded me that I, I'm a visitor to their world. They do not, yeah. they don't even care that I'm there. They will continue their life. And I, I just get a little snapshot, a 45 minute window to experience what they're seeing. And mm. I, I'm the biggest advocate. I think everyone should have the opportunity to go diving because it, it really is so wonderful and yeah. I, I'm not sitting here saying if you want to be a marine biologist you have to scuba dive I know many amazing marine biologists who work in labs and science communication yep. and are so amazing but for me yeah I want to spend every single second in the water 
Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That, wow, what a lovely story. And I've shout out to one of my ex-students who's been on this podcast, uh, uh, Karis Marianne, who's uh, doing a PhD in marine biology uh, up here in North, in Norwich at the University of East Anglia. So, uh, so uh, she'll uh, completely high-five you through the uh, digital digital in- internets for that. Digital high-fives. Um, yeah. And it's... <laughs> And you're the second guest actually this season who's who's talked about the Red Sea because a few episodes ago I talked to uh, um, Colleen Campbell who is a, a PhD research uh, researcher in the Red Sea looking at all the corals and actually is living on campus or near campus and is like right by the Red Sea. So oh, that that's um, a dream. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so folks, if 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 you want to link up, what. Uh, Amir was just said, and and Colleen with her work in the Red Sea. Go and listen to that episode a few a few weeks back. That was quite interesting too about her experiences in the Red Sea in Saudi Arabia. Um, oh yeah, I've I'm not gonna. I've got I've got a few stories myself about just that kind of like. I tell you, there was there was one time. Uh, I will say this one just very very quickly. Um, in Montana, in Bozeman, Montana, where where I'm lucky enough that my my partner's family has a house out there for the family to go to, there's um, there's this pair of sandhill cranes that um, because they mate for life that frequent in the Bozeman summer and they they live there in the valley in the the glacial valley every summer, and I got up early. Oh yeah, that was the summer I took the high school kids there. So I got up early and before the kids got out of bed, I couldn't sleep. We had just arrived um, and they were all still asleep because they were all knackered and jet lagged. And I, I just thought I couldn't sleep. So what I thought, I'd just go out for a little walk just around the house in and around the valley and whatnot. And the sun was just coming up over the mountains and everything like that. And then I could hear that. It's not a very good impression of a sandhill crane, anybody. But anyway, um, and I could see the two sandhill cranes just flying like over past the house through the valley. And because I'd visited Montana a few years in a row, I knew that there were the same two sandhill cranes that have been frequent in the valley. And I just, that peace, the quiet, the mountain, that really love hazy color of the sun rising behind the mountains. I just went, oh. You know, that's, and you—that's so beautiful, yeah. Yeah, you don't get that opportunity very often um, to have that sharp intake of breath to allow nature just to stop you in your track and give you that sharp intake of breath, and that and that sigh, like you know, all you know, all of the worries in life, my human worries, they pale into significance to the life of the beautiful experience of those two sandhill cranes, you know. Um, so, and uh, I, ju- I just think that the f- I'm, I'm quite envious of you, to be fair, that you get that opportunity more often than, than I do. And But if we all just stopped and observed, you know, whatever we can, like you mentioned about the foxes and, and, and urban wildlife and stuff like that, you know, we could all have that sense of awe, I think. Oh, so. 100%. And I must just say, one of my favourite parts about my job, and you, you've also just... Uh, done an amazing impression is hearing everyone's bird calls i love it i think it's so funny (laughs) you'll be with the most educated professionals and they'll be telling you really interesting facts and then you'll just have a grown adult going (laughs) it cracks me up every time i think it's brilliant Uh, well i'm here to provide entertainment i think i think what well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do because I have actually got the video because uh, I, I I took a, I had a video at that moment as I noticed that they were flying. I thought I got to catch this, so I, I did did get a quick video of it and of the exact sound. I'll put that. I'll see if I can get that audio and then play it like after like my expression. Oh, that's and then, amazing. Oh my god, it's gonna be like <laughs> if I can if I can find it for you, I'll I'll um, play it after we finish recording. Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. 
Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. Right, uh, we're going to play a little tiny, little, little tiny game here, if that's okay with you. Ooh, okay. It's going to be kind of um, a slightly adjusted version of uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree, which is about figuring out which story is false and which story is fact. But instead of doing that, I'm just going to give you four facts about the ocean. And and this is not putting you know putting you to the test, you're not to test. It's just a bit of fun for people listening to play along with. And uh, whether they're fact or fiction, right? So it's a slightly different take on what I usually do for Barking Up the Wrong Tree. So here are four, are they fact or fictions, right? Okay. So uh, this comes from uh, Sea Turtle Camp News um, in 2017, and it's titled The Ocean Facts Versus Fiction, <laughs> which is quite nice. Right. Okay, so is this, this, this is probably an easy one to start with. Is this fact or fiction? Is that the ocean is salty because of the animals inhabiting it? Oh, you've started off with a really tricky one there. Um, <laughs> I haven't licked many dolphins. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I'm going to say that one's false. Yeah, yeah. So it says here, uh, this one is definitely fiction. We've heard of stories, myths, and legends about why the ocean is salty as it is, but the truth is, there's only one reason for it, and that's from the all the rocks being weathered and eroded from the land and the minerals washed out into the ocean during rainfall. There's a lot of chemistry involved in that process, but generally speaking, that's where all of the ocean's salinity comes from. So we were talking about the intersection between geology and uh, marine biology there, weren't we? I was going to so. say, I feel like you tricked me. No, <laughs> it was an easy one. Right. Okay. Fact or fiction, there are spots in the ocean that can get up to 700 degrees Fahrenheit. There are spots in the ocean that get up to 700 degrees Fahrenheit, which is what, about 400 degrees Celsius? I was going to say, what is what is that in what is not that in American? Celsius? What is that in not American? <laughs> Ooh. Hmm. 371. So I wasn't seems, much right about that. That seems very, very hot. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not too sure. I'm gonna I'm going to say fiction. Okay. Right. So it's a, surprisingly enough. So it, it kind of give, it forgives you here. Surprisingly enough, this is actually a fact. Uh, these temperatures are found at the bottom of ocean in hydrothermal vents, which are cracks in the ocean floor that the heat, the ocean water due to its proximity to magma on the Earth's crust. Perhaps even of more course. surprisingly. I forgot about the vents. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I can understand maybe the way it's been said. It's like the ocean itself gets, it's actually heated by the hydrothermal vents. So, yeah. And they're actually uh, uh, quite a hot spot for uh, biodiversity as well. Right. Okay. Two more to go. So fact or fiction, the ocean produces more oxygen than all of the trees on Earth combined. This one's a fact. This one's yes. a fact. Shout out Absolutely. to my ocean doing bits for us. Oh, I slipped Absolutely. back into Essex there. Sorry. <laughs> no, go for it. We, 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 it's lovely to say that we're you know do it we're cultured on this podcast i love saying that as an essex person so. <laughs> um so yeah this is totally fact according to national geographic the oceans are responsible for producing nearly two-thirds of the earth's oxygen supply so when scientists like yourself talk about the importance of the health of our oceans they aren't lying our lives literally depend on taking care of our oceans to keep them healthy right there's one more Let's see this one yeah, this one is, you either know it or you don't, I guess. Uh, I, I actually didn't know this one. Um, the Andes Mountains <clears throat> in South America are the biggest mountain range on Earth. So, well, why would they have this on an ocean, fact or fiction, even though the Andes are on land? So what do you reckon? Is that fact or fiction? The Andes Mountains are the biggest mountain range on Earth. Hmm. I haven't actually been to too many mountains, so... Ooh. Okay. Toss a coin. What do you think? The longest, not the highest. Yeah, definitely not the highest, yeah. Let's go with fact. Okay. So as a guess. Yeah, so I, I can understand why they have this one on this on this list, actually. It says, again, this is, this is fiction. So while the Andes mountain range is the largest mountain range on dry land, 
there's an even bigger mountain range at the bottom of the ocean. And the, and the Andes range is over 4,300 4, miles long, but the mid-ocean ridge in the Atlantic is nearly 10 times that size at a whopping 35,000 miles long. The craziest part, that actually accounts for almost a quarter of the Earth's surface. What? Wow. See, if I was a former doing my hunting there, I think I would have got that one right, but... Mm. Yeah. Oh. Who me comes to bring the sugar and tea? I don't know why that just popped into my head. But okay. That was completely random. Um well there you go. So little facts about but I think um what that all shows, folks, is that you know, whether it was just a little silly game or it's fact or fiction, it just goes to show that the ocean is blooming interesting, bloody marvellous. It's it's amazing. It always uh I because I, I'm a explorer scout leader. Um, and the kids are always fascinated and uh, I love telling the young people that we know more about space than we do about the ocean and I hope I've convinced some of them to go into some STEM subjects I'm, I'm really pushing it but <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah if I keep dropping ocean facts every now and then I'm hoping it will stick <laughs> yeah. with them yeah well yeah that's that's you know I used to do that all the time when I was when I, te- I still do now you know you you just drop little things in you never know what sparks anybody because you know half the time somebody you get a, a person who comes up to you like you know you used to teach it's like oh so what made you decide you want to do this that or the other and usually it's it's a single lesson or a single part of a lesson or or you know we watched this video and I and there was this quote from this one person or this 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 guest you got into the school to talk to us just that one moment that one thing that was said that just ticks something in the brain that you didn't really really appreciate in the past so yeah i think i think we can't underestimate those little tiny moments so keep doing it i would say keep those subliminal messages getting in there uh we're, we're actually going um uh, for the jamboree this year to north america and Oh, <laughs> beat you to yep. it then. Um, yep. And we uh, we let the kids choose the uh, the names of each um, each patrol um, and each unit. And they had the rule was they had to name it after national parks. So I suggested okay. a few. And you know you've got Grand Canyon, you've got glaciers. Um, thinking they would go along that route, the young people came back to us and said, actually, what we want to call our unit is Big Bend. So. That's okay. the park we're yeah. named after. So yeah. <laughs> we all get Excellent. to now walk around with that on the back of our T-shirts, but they chose it and yeah, they love it. So <laughs> I tell you what, though, that is perfect example of young people's frame of minds. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, I mean, I, 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 you know, I probably would have done because Yellowstone is the closest national park to you know, to Bozeman. So I probably would have gone for that. That's where I took the kids in 2012. But yeah, so Big Ben uh, is in Texas, I believe. Um, So do they have to do any research about it then? Do they even know it's in Texas? (laughs) I don't know if they know it's in Texas, but then uh, I had to put a nice spin on it for the parents in our monthly newsletter and so I, I was talking about how diverse the wildlife is in America and talking about mm. how diverse we are getting a scouting and how it's really amazing that it's a, a safe space for the young people to discover who they yeah. are and that this is possibly a once in a lifetime trip for some of them and that it's really going to help them grow as people so yeah I think the I parents totally definitely preferred that to just thinking we were letting them call it whatever they wanted yeah <laughs> no it's amazing and as speaking of someone who's run a field trip to the united states I, I that that experience will change some of their those kids lives forever um I, the, the the kids i took in 2012 to yellowstone and the bozeman area they're mid to late 20s now i think but when i took, took took them they were like 12 13 14 and you know i'm still in contact with many of them and they still talk they still keep talking about it oh, it's amazing. it's yeah so you you are gonna have an absolute blast and those kids are never uh, the only thing I'll just give you a word of advice, though. The only thing, caution is that you know it's very easy to lose yourself and get overexcited, and it's quite draining in a good way because you're so pumped up, you're so excited. It's such an amazing experience. Is that it can take quite a lot out of you, and I was absolutely exhausted by the end of that trip. Um, so, but for good reasons, for good reasons. 
So yeah, I can imagine amazing. I'm going to be sleeping a lot when we come back. Um, yeah, and I, well, I, I have to you, remind yeah. myself that I am, in fact, a leader and responsible for some of these young yes. people. And I'm not yes. 14 and I don't get to run around and play with sticks and jump in the river yeah. as well. I've got a supervisor. <laughs> yeah, but you, you'll have you'll have loads of fun just watching them and seeing them like get out of the stuff. So I'm really excited for you and your and your scout troop. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, very excited. Thank you. Cool. So um, yeah, I was going to ask you about about this upcoming thing for for the spill the beans um, kind of section of this, <laughs> but you've got I've got so much I can. So what have? Let's see what we cover. So you you love sports. You you love your sports. So you've tried netball, rounders, golf. Wow, roller skating, archery. You've even ran a half marathon over lockdown. Oh my goodness, where do we start? Um, nature through storytelling. Okay. So is that so explain to us what what you mean by that so what kind of what kind of stories do you like to listen to you like to read you tell or is it listening to people tell stories Oh it's it's a whole host of things I think um going back to my point that you know people can have connections with nature in whatever form I think for uh, a lot of the people I went to university with and it was you know a question of oh, oh why did you want to do marine biology and so many people turned around and said blue planet blue planet is mm. sh- for the first time that is what really sparked our interest in the ocean and and yeah. was able to show us all this incredible wildlife so i think storytelling is such a powerful tool and you know you look back to the first human civilizations and paintings on caves of mammoths and all these incredible things and just because now we post pictures of cows on Instagram, yeah. in my head, that's, you know, the same thing. Just because we're not telling these stories around campfires or passing them down through generations. Yeah, and we, true, you yeah. know, we we now, I uh, I recently went to uh, at the Natural History Museum. They have these explorer conferences um, for, again, underrepresented uh, uh, people of colour, uh, queer, all these different, all the different groups. And um, it's just a big night where the museum gets opened up, professionals showcase their work and uh, artists put on poetry uh, talks and things like that. Oh. And oh, it, it always makes me so emotional, some of the poems that, that get shared and just how they're telling stories about their whole identities and the world around them in such a beautiful, articulate way that I could never come up with. But I just, I just think it is so powerful. And yeah, whether yeah. it's art, you know bedtime stories i'm sure you tell your kids so many nature-based stories and yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I just think it's it's such a beautiful way to appreciate the nature around us even if we're not realizing it Mm. yeah i i i complete i'm a massive advocate of storytelling i've i think it's it's how i used to my, it was my main preferred method of, of teaching, I think, was through story. And and I was very fortunate that not only did I teach geography, but I also taught drama as well. So I brought a lot of that into it. And I just it's just it's the way that it's the way that knowledge has traditionally been passed down. I think that's something that's we we've lost as as we've become further and further disconnected from nature and further and further disconnected from from indigenous roots, is is we've we've lost this ability to tell meaningful stories that have huge impact that pass knowledge down. But but I, you, but I think you're absolutely right. You know, this is we were talking a bit earlier before we started recording, didn't we, about how actual social media can be a force for good, and it can access stories in a very accessible manner. Um, and of course, the other thing it does, the other thing we talked about, didn't we, before you before we started recording, was was it makes it can make greater visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, it can get stories out there which need to be told who don't usually get told who or get marginalized or get suppressed mm-hmm. so and I know that's one thing that we're both exceptionally very very passionate about when it comes to social media and stuff like that is that we we feel like there needs to be greater representation especially in the field of science with with queer people like like ourselves and, and people of color like yourself and and yeah so how important is is clearly representation is obviously very important to you I mean goes without saying but but just tell us a little bit about kind of like what that really means i think i think it is a difficult one um in the especially the social media side of things i Mm. 
I think over lockdown and everything, I had to distance myself from a lot of platforms because it was just not good for my mental health. Right, Um, yeah, yeah. But then it's also the flip side of, well, I want to communicate with people, I want to network with people, stay in contact with friends, all of that. Um, And I think especially nowadays, you know, we're told the world is our oyster. I've got to get the little oyster puns in there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, to shout about our experiences from the rooftops. But that can be so overwhelming sometimes. So, Mm, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just remembering that the whole world is not online and to take a step back and maybe think sometimes before sending certain tweets. But I also do think, as you were saying, it is such a force of good and just being able to see yourself represented in a field that when you like when I go out to work and I go onto sites I am even though I'm light-skinned I am more often than not the darkest person in the room Mm. and it can be so exhausting having to explain lived experiences and then also feel like I have to uplift the voices of my community as well to people and it can just be so draining and so to be able to see that other people halfway across the world are doing the same thing fighting the good fight you know that actually there's there's people on your side there's people out there yeah and if there's one thing that I want to come from being on Twitter or doing shows like this or you know just getting my name my voice out there is that if there is one young person who was like me thinking well everyone on this course doesn't look like me no one else here is queer I seem to be the odd yeah. one out. This, this, I don't think this is a career for me. I just want to let people know that there's, we're we're here, we're fighting, we want to be heard, and we accept yeah. you, and we're going to make space for you. And the industry is changing, and we need your help in the fight. So yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. we're, we're yep. yeah. I think social media can be a really good thing. Um, yeah, and visibility is so important. So yeah, it really, really is. And uh, I, you know, I, I do have. I do have privileges such as being white, you know, such as being now, you know, middle class and, and educated degree. And I just feel that it, for me personally, I, it, I think the greater privilege that you have or the greater privileges that you have, you have a greater responsibility to make sure that you're paying that privilege forward to, mm-hmm. to those. So, you know, and I, as we said before, <clears throat> you know, I haven't got you on the podcast because you're a queer person of colour. I've got you on the podcast because you are a marine biologist who has a love for the planet like I do. And, you know, yes, we have certain identities in that respect, but core to our being is the love of our lives, which is the natural planet and a natural world. And just us going about our business while being true to who we are is I think is the absolute best gift I think that either of us can give to pe- to this planet really. A hundred percent. And I, I think as well, there's, there's so many more interesting things as a, like that make me a person. As you say, my love for nature, the sports yeah, I scuba play, diving, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the stories <laughs> I tell, these are Your all things. Puns. Yeah. <laughs> these are all things that I think make me me before my, the fact that I'm non-binary or, you know, the color of my mm. skin. And I think we focus far too much on that as a society. And yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's it's quite a, a scary time, and I don't want to delve into it too much. But the stuff that the government is coming out every with every single day, it, it feels like just mm. a another little bit of our communities are getting attacked and chipped away at until there's going to be nothing left. And yeah, we we need to use our voices. Uh, we they're a very powerful tool, and um, I think yep. uh, I'm going to mess up his name now. I've always said it wrong. Um, <laughs> Arnold Arnold Schwartz Arnold Schwarzenegger. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> he just. Oh, you're talking about that video. Yeah, the, and oh, I think that was such a powerful God, video. Yeah. If you haven't seen it yet, I think it's only like 12 minutes long. But he's he's talking about you know how he had to unlearn that generational hate, and that he had to work out his mind like he would work out his body to to actually put in the effort to to dismantle all these ideas that he'd grown up believing. And if yeah. he can do it, then it's it's proof that everyone can do it. And yeah, yeah. it's. I think it is just it's... taking a second to look at the world around you and realize there's so many bigger things going yeah. on than has, you know firing off another angry reply yep. on social media. Like, go look at the birds. 
go yep. put your feet in the ocean and feel the sand between your toes. And then all yep. of these thoughts will disappear. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it goes to show that people just listening to, to, to you speak for the last 40 or so minutes tell like the amount of passion and joy you get from your work as a marine biologist and things like that. And that's, and that, and that is what brings, you know, that's what that, that joy transfers it, you know, and it coalesces with other people's and you find common ground in those. And the same with me, when people get me talking about maps or climate change or, you know, anything to do with geographies, especially maps, I see a map, I'm like, you know, map. It's like, I'm like Forky off of Toy Story, you know, like when he goes, tr- he sees a trash can, he's drawing, you know, trash. I'm, I'm maps, maps. So, uh, you know, my partner also me. loves maps. So I, I must admit, um, I am actually sat next to a giant map that used to be hanging in my room, but we've recently moved house, so we don't have a home for it. But yeah, my partner <laughs> has dragged me into every possible map store we can ever find, um, wherever we go, and yeah, always brings maps back from different country and has quite possibly thousands of ordnance surveys maps. So you are <sighs> not alone in that one. <laughs> I'm just looking at my shelves of all my ordnance surveys. I like your part already. I like them very much. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, I mean, we've fortunately got to bring this to an end, which is a big shame, but um, we, uh, yeah, um, but uh, we got to move on to the one last thing, which is the we are all geographers, because I'm going to link you now to our previous guest. Um, so uh, last week we spoke to Anne-Marie Organ, uh, a wonderful person. She is, uh, an inc- she could describes herself as an inclusive Christian. Uh, but she has a geography degree, which is really interesting. We talked about like uh, like urban landscapes and how she has rural phobias. Really do check that out episode. But she's also a massive, 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 massive Star Trek fan, like I am. And the re- and the reason why oh wait oh wait 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 oh okay right folks we you, you only <laughs> can hear her she can't see us but uh, uh, yeah you should have seen the Mills face right okay so this might actually suit you perfectly then right. She gave you, well, she's given you a word or a phrase that you've got to speak about for 30 seconds, right? And usually what I ask, I ask if, is for the person to try and make some geographical environmental link with this word, right? You can probably guess what I'm going to say. She has said that she wants you to speak about Star Trek for 30 seconds. Okay, easy. You, you, about anything. Oh, so, <laughs> Anne-Marie, you, she, she thought she was going to gonna trip you up she thought oh the next person is gonna be as massive trekky like me and you kit are they i was like well i don't know i don't know and then you were just like yeah right i'll tell you what i'm gonna do i am gonna put so i'm gonna have this in front of me yes oh i love that <laughs> i've got my my giant enterprise d model and i'm gonna have that out in front of me while uh i mean we'll talk to you all for 30 seconds about star trek so whenever you're ready and then i'll let you know how, when you've got five seconds left so off you go. <laughs> okay, so I have to link Star Trek back to the environment. So uh, Star Trek, obviously all about exploring space and new planets and meeting new races and flying among the stars. And I always, I've watched it with my dad growing up and I always used to think, oh, one day I'd, I'd love to get a get a job on the Enterprise and obviously realise that <laughs> can't come true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, I feel like uh, my job now is, uh, in a very small sense, uh, is is still discovering new things, exploring new science, and you know, um, oh my god, it's running out of time already, and there's so many new species, and uh, we just, yeah, oh my god, that was very <laughs> stressful. I could, oh, was not prepared, was not expecting Star seconds. Trek to come up. Um, I know, but you did such a great <laughs> job, and as soon as you said exploration, I was like, oh yeah, that's it. You you, you could have just went exploration, job done. But- <laughs> Do you know what oh, I just yeah. thought of actually? Um, but do you know? Do you know what is that? I'll show you where it is. So, folks, I'm going to point. I'll, I'll describe this to you physically. So, if you're a Star, if you're if you don't care about Star Trek, you're like I'm um, switching. You can you can switch off now if you want. But <laughs> no, actually, don't don't because Emil's going to tell you where you can get in contact with them and you can follow them on Twitter. So hold on for a moment. Indulge us for a moment. Right. Okay. So I'm holding up the Enterprise D in plan. Uh, view right and i'm pointing roughly there is there is actually uh, a space here according to the technical specifications written by mike akuda so right here do you, do you know there actually are sea creatures who have a base operations in this part of the enterprise do you know what i'm talking about i didn't about? know are it the- was that specific bit 
Yeah, it's somewhere around here. Yeah. Ooh. So this is uh, cetacean op- operations. Um, oh, that's because amazing. Actually, according to the technical manual, the Star Trek technical manual, they actually have dolphins on board to help navigate. There we go. Yeah. I, I always thought for a long time as well, I was going to be like Bones and I was going to become a doctor. <laughs> 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 or, or potentially an engineer like Scotty, but yep. that didn't work out. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, recently rewatched uh, some of the the older series with my dad, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, still so much love for them. And yeah, really damn it, Jim, a marine biologist, not a doctor. <laughs> I got that wrong way around. There you go. Um, yeah, so but it's 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 true. It's and actually there was one episode of Star Trek: Next Generation where Geordi mentions about have you seen the dolphins yet so that's the one canon time on star trek next generation would actually mention there are dolphins but then they were solidified in canon folks in star trek lower decks where no spoilers but they really did solidify the fact that there is cetacean observations ob- observations sorry sean ferrick from from trek culture you, that's sean ferrick's <laughs> fault from Trek culture that I said cetacean observations instead of cetacean operations. Ah. <laughs> um, but there actually are dolphins on starships. Anyway, so how cool is that? So there you go. That's you still so potentially cool. have a future in the stars with your marine oh, biology. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> All right. Before, okay. We've really gone random now. Um, so before I forget, uh, you get to come up with uh, a single word or if it's you can cheat if it's something like star trek that's fine but you can come up with a single word for our guest for next time do you have something on the top of your head that you like okay use? sticking with the slightly nerdy space theme we'll go <laughs> doctor who doctor who okay this is getting really really uh <laughs> I, I think and uh, andy placides host of the great derelict podcast this is your doing isn't it this is your doing um right so doctor who so please tell us uh uh where we can find you or because you have a twitter profile and uh how people because if people because you sound you are you well you definitely are an awesome human being not just you sound (laughs) one uh and i know that people are going to want to connect with you so how can they find you yeah so um you can find me on twitter um i'm sure kit can put the links in the bios whatever however you do the links on these things um yeah that is my main uh form of social media i'm also on linkedin um under the name amelia hersham um but yeah feel free to dm me on twitter and yeah i'm more than happy to provide email addresses and things like that so yeah awesome yeah looking forward to hearing from you all yeah and you'll have it's it's fine. And you could also go, the other thing I, I, I always fail to mention is that if you go, folks, to a Coffee Jog Pod uh, Twitter account, there is a, a public list on that Twitter account, which has um, all of the podcast guests. So you'll be able to find Mel's um, Twitter handle in that list. So that also works too. And all the other previous guests. Brilliant. Right. Uh, any shout outs to finish off? You you shout out to uh, to Luke to uh, your, your dad, to your, to your your late nan, bless her heart. Uh, anyone else you'd like to give a shout out to? Oh, she since she sat in the room next. The blur, sorry, can't speak. Suddenly at the end of this, since she sat <laughs> in the room next door, I'm gonna have to shout out to my sister Sophia, who is probably cuddling with the cat Felix, and Aww. also to my partner Nina, who is in Iceland with them mum at the moment. So I hope you have a lovely Aww. holiday. Oh, hi Nina. You're well. <laughs> you're, you're probably you're probably back home by the, when when you're listening to this. But okay. Oh, and so hi Sophie, and of course Felix. Yeah, who can forget Felix? Who can forget him? <laughs> the, who can forget the Felix? world's best boy? <laughs> oh. Well, this has been so much fun. I mean, people will know just by our laughter and our joy and our geekiness and our complete randomness that this was so much fun. Thank you so much. I've had such a blast. Thank you for having me. Um, this is my first proper like podcast experience, so I have had a blast. Thank you for making me feel so welcome. <laughs> you are an amazing host, so another shout Aww. out to you. <laughs> oh, and yeah, you. my face hurts from smiling and laughing now, so definitely a very good way to spend an evening. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. 
If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.